Hello, this is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking to Mark Scheinert. So we had an um, interview with him about DungeCon a couple times. And he had mentioned Arduin Grimoire in, his, or in the interview. And people wrote to me asking if we could bring him back and talk about Arduin Grimoire specifically. So Mark is being real generous this his time. He's really busy dealing with DungeCon, the upcoming convention in San Ramon. And Mark, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So people were, I was wondering how you got involved with Arduin. I mean, people I, that I don't know, know you, well, know about you more than I did. So, <laughs> so let's, let's get, uh, bring me up to speed as to how you're connected with Dave Hargrave, Arduin and the, that whole business. The whole thing is pretty weird. Uh, <laughs> But 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 I think that's in keeping with the nature of Arduin as a game system. So I just kind of go with the flow on that. Uh, I was going to law school between 1975 and 1978, UC Davis. When I was there, I discovered that I really hated everything about law, which didn't stop <laughs> me from eventually passing the bar and practicing law and all the rest of it. Okay. But I really needed something else to do. <laughs> And your average law student just buries himself in the books. You know, they, they, they want to either go off and prosecute criminals or work for a big firm or something else that uh, is, is highly involved uh, legal exercise. And I think so which ones did you choose? Great, and it wasn't what I wanted to do. So, so I, I said to myself, I'll get through law school fine. I was kind of average for that class. I was certainly not at the top. I certainly wasn't at the bottom. But the reason was I was spending the time playing RPGs. Ah, the devil. <laughs> yeah, you know. And I, I started that uh, middle of my second year. And uh, uh, there was uh, another guy I knew who was equally dissolute. And uh, he turned me on to Traveler, of all things. Oh, yeah. Okay, that was like the original four books. Yes. Uh, yeah, the little black books. And uh, good time just kind of running around uh, uh, on this little scout ship with a crew of like five characters. And right. uh, we spent more time creating the characters than we did anything else. <laughs> Other than that, it was, it was, it was just really mundane stuff i mean it was like it would have been monty hall in space if there was anything to steal right there wasn't yes. because he didn't know how to run a game any more than he knew how to play it yeah i think that's everybody when those little books came out you know yeah, all, so, everybody so this is like 1976 77 okay and wow when i was there i met this this guy i'm not going to name his name because he has since uh ended up uh in the criminal justice system, not as an attorney. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. So I, I think that he probably resolved his legal troubles a long time ago, but I, I just think I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> uh, good, good choice. <laughs> and the, you can uh, tell me later. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure I even remember much of that. It was kind of like, well, okay. I mean, this, this is a problem. I don't want to, Right. I don't want to get into it. No, 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 I'm kidding. Uh, but we found that Traveler wasn't really working for us. So he found uh, the original three D&D books. Of course. To which he added the Arduin Grimoire and Welcome to Skull Tower, which is volume two of the Arduin trilogy, the original trilogy, uh, of which the third had not yet been printed at this point. So this wow. was 1977 or thereabouts. This is the first time I'd ever seen a fantasy role-playing game. And it was like heads and shoulders above Traveler because, you know, this, the one thing was just kind of very mundane uh, sci-fi being played by people who didn't know how to write sci-fi, much less play it. Uh, I'm not referring to the authors of uh, Traveler. I'm talking about us as a little group of players. Yeah. We had no idea of how to do a rich science fiction environment. Well, with all this magic stuff, it was kind of laid out. There are all kinds of things that, that looked interesting. But what completely threw me is you've got these these three crudely written books. The original three D&D books were yeah. really ghastly in terms of delivering a game system. It, it, it was very rudimentary, very thin, and the typography and the artwork was just meh. 
Uh, <laughs> I think I think he got like his like daughter to do some of the art or something. <laughs> could have been. Could have been. I don't know. I mean, you're right. But you know, but on top of this, there are these two really thick books in basically the same format. You know, the, the whatever the pamphlet format is. You know, the, the tiny half sized format. Yeah. And these were, if anything, even worse in terms of typography. But what they made up for was the richness of what was in there. I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was like, oh, my God. They've got interesting spells. They've got lots of weaponry. They've got uh, races that are interesting. They've, they've got charts and charts and charts to run the charts. And it, it's just like <laughs> it, it was just very impressive. And one of, one of the things that uh, intrigued me about this is that I'm a detail guy. Uh, I One of the reasons I, I was able to function in law school without putting enough effort into it was that I was a detail guy. I, I could uh, harness a lot of detail and it would be enough to get me by. And uh, I won't even pretend for a moment I was proud of that, but it's how I, 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 I did stuff. It was like, yeah. I want to do this. So all this detail was, of course, intoxicating. It was a case of where I sat down with all these books, and it literally took me two years to realize they had nothing to do with each other in terms of authorship or publication. <laughs> that, that's how well the Arduin stuff melded with the original D&D. It was a, a combination of uh, Dave Hargrave's GM notes. In fact, in those days, it was DM notes because right. we were Dungeon, dungeon Masters. We didn't talk about Game Masters. We talked about Dungeon Masters. A bald-faced supplement. It was it was kind of like uh, parasitic. By itself, It you couldn't do that much with it initially. Eventually, it came to the point where you could run the Arden Gourmore strictly what was in the books, and you didn't need any of the D&D stuff. But I think that he was kind of compelled to that after uh, TSR got on his case and said, look it. You're, you're violating our copyright here. <laughs> and if you look at some of the original print runs, not the very first ones, but the later ones, you've got typing tape put over certain things and you'll see a slightly different typewriter font. Because <laughs> all of this was photocopied. Or of photo course. Or fo fo yeah, it was, it's not photocopied. It, it's whatever you do. Zero. Uh, offset, I guess, is what yeah. it's called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you're using a typewriter, right? So you have Oh, to... yeah. It, it, yeah. It, was, it was definitely courier type stuff. Yeah. And of course, it, it, it was this cramped printing, the, the, just the density of the information. And in some cases, it would be like he didn't have enough space and he'd scribble in a little bit in, in handwriting and that would get printed. Or there were at least one <laughs> case where you would see the last part of a paragraph, it was on the margin sideways. Yes, I've seen that. I've seen that. I don't know who had, because I never owned the original little books of Ardrin, but I always thought they were, you know, supplements to D and D because they looked like. Well, the that, that's books. in fact what they were. They were yeah. supplements to D and D. But I'm I'm sitting here under the impression that this is all a unified system, and it's as much TSR's fault as it is Hargrave's fault because the total graphic delivery of this stuff was poor. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was it, you know, mo mo most people's personal write-ups for their own games is better than this was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, that's fine. This was 19, mid 19. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 77 call it. So we start playing in, in, in this stuff with this stuff. And it's like my first eight characters die horribly. <laughs> which actually was not inconsistent with D&D &D either because you'd have like your two hit point wizard. Oh right, yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's just ridiculous. But um, you combine the two hit point wizard with uh, spells that, that, that do incredible amounts of damage, which was the Arduin side of it. And it, it was a miracle that anybody survived. I, I, I think the first character I had who survived anything was, a, was about my eighth character. And I've, I've still got her floating around as an NPC, <laughs> but was was really a revelation. It was like, oh my gosh, what, what I could do with this. And so I decided, okay, met, met this guy who was also going to Davis. I don't remember what his major was. He got into our group and he decided he was going to run a game. And so he ran a game of this and we got into it and my characters kept dying. And I finally said, you know, 
I want I want him to experience the pleasure of having his character <laughs> die. So I'm going to run a game. So I put together a game, and it turned out that at this point, characters on both sides didn't die quite as frequently. Our our fatality rate went down to about sixty percent per run. That's um, pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. But we got more and more into this stuff, and we started developing our our own system, which uh, I also won't get into, except to say that it uh, was absurdly mathematical, and it would take hours to run one combat. Oh, geez. So, I mean, you you live and you learn. And one of the things I learned right off the bat was simulation is really cool, and storytelling is really cool, and play balance is really cool. And it takes a lot of thought to make it work so that they all are functioning. Uh, we were carrying the sim- simulation uh, side of it so far that, there, first of all, it was no fun to play. The playability was zero. <laughs> and secondly, there was no room for story. It was just all these these abstruse calculations. And can you move to this to this place before this person moves to this place and where within three inches accuracy are you going to collide and on and oh, on. Wow. So that, that, that was like the first thing I ever learned about game design was uh, don't do that. <laughs> uh, and so how uh, long did you run since you, at, when you took over playing or running Arjun? Uh, how, well, in terms of hours per day? Oh no. Like, you know, how long did your, your campaign last? It lasted from 77 to about 82, 83. Wow. But it was a little more uh, expanded than that. And I, I didn't really uh, see my uh, co-designer uh, after about uh, the equivalent of DDC 6, I think. Okay. First DDC I went to was four. I went to Dundrakhan intermittently. I, I went to eight, but by the time I, I got to eight, I was already involved uh, with uh, helping uh, Dave develop Arduin beyond where he was. So, so, yeah. So how did you get from running the game at college to contacting or talking to Dave Hardgrave? Well, what it was was I, I I wanted to meet this guy, and I found out he was running a store in Concord, so I went over there. <laughs> That's hilarious. And and he put up with me for about forty five minutes, and then said, "You know, you're you're just full of bull. Why don't you try doing this the right way?" <laughs> so what do you do? Uh, well, he he said, "You know, this is a problem with this. This is the problem with this." And he was right about the things he was talking about. I, I, I was showing him stuff I'd written, and he said, "Yeah, no, this is this is just bad." Yeah. Oh, this is your homebrew. You're you're showing him. Yeah. And, you know, he uh, was uh, a gruff kind of a guy. And if you got on his bad side, he was just impossible. But I never <laughs> managed to get on his bad side. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'd made up my mind I was going to make friends with this guy. And uh, I, I did. You know, I, I normally wouldn't try to impose, but I was just so damned impressed with what he had done. Right. And then, you know, over time, I came to realize that that he his brilliancy and he really was a brilliant uh, storyteller and uh, intuitive game designer, but he, his organizational skills were not up to the rest of it, and that <laughs> that had a lot to do with uh, the course of how Arduin developed and and why you don't see anybody playing it these days. Really, it just was not a uh, situation he he couldn't handle his his, his own innovation uh, well enough to put it in a consumable form for most people. And that was kind of a continuing problem. Ar- Arduin kind of developed over time. You, you had the Arduin Grimoires, and there were, all together, there were three primary books, but then there were five more supplements that he did really just to keep eking out a living. And one more was released after his death. So there are a total of these, t- of 10 of these little booklets. Wow. But the ones that everybody talks about are the first three. The The third of them was the Runes of Doom. And rather than get a lot of dates wrong, I'm just going to do the best I can from memory here. But for people who are interested in getting a reasonably accurate idea of how Arduin developed, Shannon Applecline has written a book, Designers and Dragons, that goes into a lot of the early RPG development. And he's devoted a chapter to Arduin. It's a 2014 book, and Designers and Dragons, and you should track that down if you want to get something more accurate than I'm about to deliver. Okay. Because I'm just going off the top of my head here. He's got dates and stuff. 
and I could be wrong and he could be right about some of these dates, but just in terms of my personal uh, impressions of how I went through this. Those three books, you know, we ran long campaigns, played in a lot of Hargraves games over time. I think altogether, I probably was playing with him for about eight years running almost continuously. Oh, so you actually um, played with David? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, I was part of the a group of five players I think it was, who were all playing characters in his playtest campaign for the complete Arduin, which he called Arduin Bloody Arduin. And we we playtested everything. Uh, he, he just had this, this notion that he wanted to boil everything down to one number when it came to combat, something he called the battle factor. Yes. And it turned out it was a little more complicated than that. You would have a, a battle factor, but then you'd have to compute it separately for each weapon you were using. So you'd have a different battle factor for a sword or for a hammer or for pretty much anything like that. And that started to develop. It got to the point where it was working really well. So we said, okay, now you've got to publish it. Somebody got him a computer. I think it was Jim Mathis who was uh, the guy who owned Grimoire Games. And Grimoire Games was literally nothing more than a publishing company to publish Dave's work. It never published anything else. Mathis got him a, a one of the original little Macs to type stuff up on. And he he typed all kinds of stuff into that machine. And I, <laughs> I've still got a copy of the printouts of everything that he wrote because, well, you'll see later why. It was just, it was pure gold because it was all the old stuff and a lot of new stuff. And it was, it, it, it was like the mother load of, of Dave Hargrave, <laughs> but he couldn't get it organized and he couldn't tear it down and he couldn't put it out on a schedule. And we tried to help him. We tried to encourage them. There were about four of us who were working with him on that. What we finally did for Dundracon 8, which was at the Dunphy all those years ago, with Jim Mathis as connivance, we printed up 112-page, or no, 8-page, eight 8-page eight pamphlets that summarized the whole Battle Factor system. And we took them there, and we ran five demo games. He didn't know this was happening until like the day before uh, when we said, okay, Dave, your game is going to be introduced. Here's here's the book we put out. You, you're going to run a game, and we're each running a game, and there's going to be five games introducing this because we we just pushed him into it, literally. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Did, and did he get upset? You know, because like you didn't well, tell him. He got upset back? about three weeks later. At the time, he was nonplussed. Okay. It, there was a good to it and a bad to it. There was a good to it in that we got it off the dime and we got something going. There's a bad to it because he just he just threw up his hands and said, "I can't work like this. <laughs> I can't work like this. I, I I I can't be held to a schedule. I've got things I need to do, which I don't pretend to understand even today. But that's okay because you didn't tell Dave what to do. You you encouraged him to do things you didn't tell him. So it eventually got to the point where it, it just stalled out. He could have had that game published in 1987, and it probably would have been a sensation because it was that, that good. The trouble was that the game market was evolving. Uh, Worlds of Darkness, uh, I think, was coming out about then. I know that Vampire the Masquerade came out. It shifted where the role-playing market was. And then he passed away in late 1988 because right. my daughter was just a couple of months old when he died. He left all this behind. A lot of us got together and Jim Mathis says, well, I'm going to provide the financing, but somebody has to get this material in order. And guess who was the dumb schmuck who said yeah i'll do it <laughs> well I, I believe the book has your name on it right <laughs> well there's a reason <laughs> there's so, a reason so literally you guys just got together after he passed away and you know i guess like a tribute to his work he decided to put this out the stuff in those two books because it's a two volume set 400 and some odd pages total that is 85 to 90 percent dave hargrave five percent to 10% uh, stretching out the manuscript to take into account the logical implications of what he was doing. And uh, then the the other the other part is stuff I stuck into because it was like there were certain things where we needed some material and we didn't have it. Like there's a section in there on muzzle-loading cannon from uh, like the 17th, 18th, 19th century, 17th, 18th century. <laughs> I, 
you know, he, he had all the high powered artillery and he had the sci-fi weapons and he had all the handheld and melee weapons, uh, from before gunpowder, but he didn't have the early gunpowder weapons. So that was a case where I went in and I formulated something to fill that gap. So, so they're very specific parts that yeah. were missing or gaps. Yeah. There, there were some things I, I said, you know, if, if we're going to be a complete system, you got to have this because somebody is eventually going to say, I want to have uh, a shipboard battle with cannon. Okay, yeah. well, you yeah. can do that. So it was it was stuff like that, but it was it was mostly beating all of his material into shape. And I was I went back and I looked at everything, and uh, I plugged in as much as I could. And then I had to take a lot of it out because there wasn't space. So most of the world detail that he had that was that was going to be in a third volume if we ever got there. And I think that something similar to that eventually got printed by the successor uh, owner of the uh, of the rights to the material, but we never did that. Oh, okay. But in the process, we ended up with a game system which works pretty well, providing you do two things. First of all, you have to be willing to, as a GM, to do a lot of work because this is literally a system where for the player, the storytelling is unimpeded, balance is very high, and the level of simulation is very high, which is supposed to be technically impossible. I don't think it's impossible. I just think it takes a lot of work to formulate a system like that. And Dave did most of that work. And then I organized it. But the other problem with it is, is you have to convince people that this level of carnage is something they want to play because the Arduin has a reputation, Arduin, all of it, whether it was the Grimoire, the complete Arduin, or even the intermediate Arduin easy play version, which was a little, I'm forgetting what the name of it is now. Arduin Adventure was just like a, about a 40 page, uh, single, very thin single volume for starting to play Arduin. Gotcha. Uh, all of these result in a lot of lethality because the weapons are really dangerous. And it's like, well, nobody wants to play that, they say. Well, the trouble is what they are failing to take into account was that this is exactly what Dave intended. And I didn't even realize that until fairly recently, but there's this article that I think exemplifies what the deal is here with him. Yeah, I I don't see it here. The uh, article in question was something lauding him uh, and, and what he'd accomplished back in 2005, long after he passed away. And it quoted a magazine where he was interviewed, and he said, the problem I've always had with D&D was that people don't die from weapons which are lethal. And people need to understand that this sort of thing is extremely deadly. When you get into combat with swords and with arrows, much less guns, it's lethal. And he said, I hate war. He was in Vietnam as a combat photographer. Right. I had heard that. Yeah. I hate war. And so the weapons and everything else in this game, if you're going to fight, it's going to be lethal. And kind of the point of this was find a way to get it done without fighting. Yeah. And in all the games I've run with Arduin over the last 10, 15 years, I've had very few characters die. I, I think one or two characters in, in the time I've been running this at uh, local conventions, because I make it clear up front. I mean, this is a gonzo system. And by gonzo, I mean, it it's huge amounts of energy floating around and it makes sense in the environment, even though you would never see that in the real life. Literally watch out for the house cat. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I mean, everything you see, I mean, I've had groups that see a goose walking in the middle of the road and they're concerned. (laughs) Now, sometimes it's just a goose. Okay, fine. You let it go. Or or you decide, well, we'll take our chances. We're hungry. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that bad. He had things like kill kittens. A kill kitten is just this little kitten that seems to be hurt and it's kind of mewing and you come up on it and you want to help it. And uh, it will uh, slash you and inject poison through its claws. And then the rest of the kill kittens will come out of the trees and eat you. (laughs) So you were always on your toes when you played. Or dead. 
<laughs> well, that's it. And the other thing it meant was there's no sole operations. You don't have somebody who's a multi-class who does everything. You better work as a, as a combined arms team or you're dead. Uh, you can only do certain things because you are either a warrior or you are a wizard or you are this or you are that. And he had a lot of classes. I think uh, it was close to 20 different uh, classes of uh character. So you could find some interesting amalgams. You just had to ask yourself, okay, what am I getting into and how do I deal with it? It's a very tense environment for running anything that that isn't a uh, straight storytelling. And even the storytelling, I mean, I, I can recall times when uh, my silly little seventh level mage is negotiating something with a vampire lord. It's like the vampire lord is being very smug, like I, I could just eat you. I said, yeah, you could. You can try. And, you know, the vampire lord knows how lethal I am, just like I know how lethal the uh, the vampire lord is. Yeah, who's who's worse? Well, let's see if we can do business before we resort to that. Right. Right. Okay, so it worked both ways. And, and that's where the balance was, is that you, 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 as a GM, you had to make sure that everything was consistent. And, and a lot of work in the GM, a lot of prep needed. But from what I've seen, a lot of GMs put in a huge amount of prep. So I don't, I don't see that it's really any different. Right. Uh, yeah. It's just my take on it. I think it could have been a bigger success than it was. As it was, it, it lost money. It had some decent reviews. It certainly did what it was intended to do, which was get his uh, system out there. I had to simplify a lot of math. He had the right ideas, and he often included intermediate steps that weren't necessary. You You didn't have to show anybody that part of the black box. You had ways of uh, describing it better. So, wow. so, yeah, so so that was it. So it came out in 89. Uh, by 93, it was a dead letter. And that's uh, pretty much the history of, of Arduin as far as it goes, except for, you know, you know, the play of it is another matter entirely. And a lot of stuff went on over time. So when you were playing with David, did you... Did you play like every week, every other week? Did you have to travel a lot? Because did he stay in Concord or did he move somewhere else? Uh, you were you were in Davis, graduated. Did you move to Fremont or where in the Bay Area were you? Okay, well, that's interesting too. I mean, before I got married, I was living uh, either at my parents' house or I was in Walnut Creek. Oh, okay. so close to, close to Concord. Yeah. But like he wasn't in Concord. He was, I think he was in Walnut Creek too at that point or Pleasant Hill. He moved to Concord much later. Oh, okay. I mean, his apartment was there. He had the, the building in Concord, of course, but that that got uh, devel- developed out from under him. They just uh, oh. redeveloped the, the entire area. And it, so so his company was only there for about four years, five okay. years. The, it was part of a little strip mall that was on this uh, square. I think they dropped a hotel on it. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much just dropped it, yeah. Um, well, it's kind of hard to winning the idea that someone would drop a hotel on your business. I mean, it, it just yeah, it, it, it fits. But he did not. I think he ran like three games a week, maybe. Certainly, there were other games going on than the ones that I was playing in. But I was over there every week. Eventually, got to the point where I got married. We moved to Fremont. I was working in Walnut Creek, and I was going out to uh, Pleasant Hill uh, to play the games, and then coming home late. Right. So it'd be an evening game. Occasionally, I'd do a Saturday game that was longer. So it was probably weekly for the most part, and an occasional uh, weekday, maybe once a month. A lot of a lot of playing. A lot of playing. Yeah. We would usually get done around. Well, he also moved to El Cerrito at one point okay. in between moving back out to Concord. He moved to El Cerrito and that that was Fremont to El Cerrito and play pretty late. I'd get done maybe 11 o'clock, 11.30. And then if I was the least bit tired, the regimen was to get on the road, turn on the heavy metal rock station, turn on the air conditioner, irrespective of what temperature it actually was. Right, right. And I'd stay awake the whole way home. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's yeah. good. Thanks. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> so I got a, a few questions from fans, I guess, I, of, the, of the system. One yeah. was, what's your favorite game or adventure you had with Dave Hardgrave? Well, I think it was probably that that, that play-tested uh, adventure we had, which ran years. I mean, that, that, that was about a three-year exercise. We each played one character. Most of us played our characters right through to the end. There were characters who 
fell by the wayside. Not not so much died. I mean, w- one of them went insane, and one of them just kind of ran away. So we don't know what happened to that one. Uh, I think. <laughs> I think one character did die, but the the rest of us, so there were about five characters that went the whole route. I, I really enjoyed that for a couple of reasons. First of all, it, it was fun watching a system that really worked well, and it worked better as time went on, and seeing how you could simulate things that were pl- plausible within the scope of the universe with, with these rules. But more to the point, I mean, it, it was like you're, you're, you're seeing characters develop, you're seeing them develop personalities, and they were really deep characters. You know, wasn't just your own character you 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 knew what the other people were going to be like too you knew where they were going well and pretty cool yeah so so that that was good and it it always had some interesting moments you know some things where you you pull off something and you shouldn't get away with it and you do and it changes how everything turned out and I, right my character just had a few moments like that and uh it was a couple of times where i would do something ahead of time or somebody else would do something ahead of time and they would just kind of screw up his eyes and say, what are you doing? And, say, <laughs> and, and it would turn out to be useful. Like, like, like I, I think the best example of that is uh, my wizard had just learned ghost wind, which is like a fourth level spell. So I mean, it's a lo- lower level spell. And my character was a lower level magician. So that uh, it was a big deal to her at the time. So it says, I want to, I want to take these two silver coins and have them reduced to dust and put in a little pouch. And he's looking at me, and why do you want to do that? I said, yeah. I said fine, you can do that. <laughs> and he made, he made me pay a, a, a silver piece just to do that, which, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Well, fair you enough. Know, somebody has to you know, do it. They, they're yeah. going to charge you for it, right? So we get involved in trying to defend this abbey from all manner of awful things. I'm up on the second floor because I've got ranged magic I can use, and I can kind of shoot down at whatever's out there. Right. So what climbs up the wall but a troll? So I pull out my my wand with the ghost wind spell in it, and I toss the silver in the air, and I blast this troll with uh, the silver dust. And, of course, he doesn't like that at all. He goes blind and he falls off. Oh, there you go. You know, and, and it didn't kill him, but it got him out of out of the way. <laughs> so that, that, that was my huge triumph. It, it, it didn't even really cure anything. It just... It just bought me some time. There you go. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting that, you know, you use spells in or different ideas that the GM can't can't foresee what you're going to use with this dust, right? But, you know, you had an idea of how to use it. And how did Dave take it? You know, did he, you know, because some GMs get mad when you kind of get one over on them. You know, well, Dave, well I, that kind I, of I think he was a little peeved, but it was like, <laughs> yeah, you could do that. And oh, okay. He played it fair. Okay. He played it fair. I mean, that that, that same fight, uh, I, I, we, we were just about uh, cooked because, uh, yeah, we were running out of people. Uh, people had gone down, uh, including most of our NPCs. We see this next horde of stuff is starting to assemble. So my, my wizard had basically two things that she did really well. She could fly and she could shoot her, her little magical darts. Right. So she decided, well, okay, I'm just going to have to take this guy out because there's this necromancer who's sending him all out. And we could see him, but we couldn't reach him because... There's stuff in the way. So she she basically tried to kamikaze him, and he shot something at her, and she he and uh, she sh- shot her little thing at him, and she rolled a crit, and then she rolled the maximum result on the crit chart, and he hit her, and she didn't die. So that was so the end you, of that. You lived. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you won. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know how how uh, long it took to come back, but I wasn't conscious at that point. <laughs> yeah. Just, that's pretty I'm cool. I mean, yeah. that's pretty neat. I mean, yeah. and that's what you remember, right? Those are, you know, that's yeah. a memory you you played that what, you know, over ten years ago. <laughs> oh no 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 no! I know that would be that would be closer to thirty five years ago. Wow. Yeah. So, but that's that's what's neat about role playing games is that you have these memories of things that happen and. You know, I could tell you stories when I was a teenager to playing D&D, crazy antics that my fellow players and their characters did. That's what makes role-playing games pretty cool. Another question people had asked was, did you ever encounter any infamous NPCs of Arduin? Now, I don't know of any, but he has a list. 
Yeah, called we go Elric. the list one by one. That might be the yeah. easiest way to handle that. Okay, so Elric. We never encountered Elric, but we sure as heck encountered that sword. <laughs> what about George? Oh, George. You know, I never encountered George, but... I did use him in a campaign a couple of times because he's he's written up in uh, the complete Arduin. Okay. So it, it is something that, that I uh, had, had caused to add to my campaign. And uh, it turned out that it was kind of an interesting thing. It was not defining moment of that particular game because some other things happened which were even more exotic, shall we say. <laughs> but yeah, G- George was interesting because the, the thing about George is that he would do whatever he could to rescue you if you called on him. And even assuming you could call on him was difficult. You had to have a, a scroll, which would be something that people would occasionally find in, in treasures or, or something. I mean, yeah. it just sounded like it's something, if you're, if you're a game master, you can put this in your campaign somewhere. And if somebody finds this, they can use it. Right. Okay. So somebody found it and they used it and it it helped and it might have helped enough to save half the party because they were they were in deep trouble. But then somebody else did something incredibly stupid which killed him. Not not George, <laughs> killed himself. Uh, but as a consequence bought the salvation of the entire rest of the party because he was carrying an avatar that couldn't be left untended and so the the wrath of the gods came down and solve the problem <laughs> that sounds pretty cool yeah well it, it i did this class example something i didn't expect yeah uh yeah i but but you know it all just follows sometimes in the gm somebody does something unexpected and say okay so this has to happen and this has to happen and this has to happen right and you're in a different place than you would have been and you just <laughs> if you're a gm and you're going to have a have an exercise that's that open and with this much energy roaming around in the system you have to be on your toes and you have to be able to improvise or figure out what the logical next step is. And I'm not the best GM in the world, but I'm not the worst either. I know how to do that. Right, right. So, No, I, I could attest that you're pretty good because I played in a couple of your games. So, yeah, you're pretty good. Okay. So who's this froggy character? Is he a ah, frog? Froggy is, 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 I think, Dave Hargrave, actually. <laughs> Froggy is the owner, I guess is the best way of putting it, of a pocket universe called Froggies, which is basically a casino. <laughs> and in this casino, no magic works except Froggy's magic. Right. Uh, and I mean nothing. Even the gods, they go here. They don't have any more capacity to affect events than uh, than anybody else. So if you want to gam- gamble uh, with Zeus or or uh, anybody like that. Uh, you can go ahead and gamble with them. You can you can you know, <laughs> uh, put your soul on the line in return for whatever boon they have to offer. Right, right. And uh, I, I did see somebody decide they were going to try to roll off against Kali. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it, it's especially dangerous when you find out that when you roll off against the god, the god gets a d20 and you get a d12. <laughs> <laughs> the kicker so, to that story is <laughs> the guy won. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, oh, good. It's, it's about, I think, a... 20% chance, 25% chance. You can do the math if you like, but uh, yeah. it, it's very, very lousy roll, but he won. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he said, well, this was easy. And then he decided to line up with another God and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> Jeez. I guess he didn't learn his lesson. So d- did you ever run for Dave? Uh, did I he... ever run a game for Dave? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he was a rotten RP player. <laughs> <laughs> He, he didn't like it when things didn't go the way he figured they should. Yes, yes, I could see that. Well, Most you know, enough. as as a as a person who jams a lot, you know, when you when you are the player, sometimes you can be kind of critical of the style of the other GMs that GM you, right? That you're a player for, you know, and you got to let that go. You got you know that control factor. I don't know what it is, but it does happen. I understand. 
Yeah. How about this Tamara Shadowfire? Tamara Shadowfire. I don't recall anything about that. I, okay. I, we, I, we may have run into her in that uh, big campaign that I enjoyed so much, but we ran into so many people. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so much stuff. I just don't. Did remember. he base any of his uh, books or stuff on your guys' campaign? I don't think so. I mean, it. I can't recall any of our names showing up in any of the stuff that happened later. So, but you know, he ran a lot of games I wasn't there for. So. Okay. It's possible. So D- Dave's, uh, w- oh, this is a question about your world and campaign. Uh, what kind of world or setting do you run in or do you like to run? Well, it, it's it's varied. I mean, I, I do have a campaign world that I, I've run a lot uh, over the years and I'm still up for running it. But lately what I've been doing is cross-gen stuff. And you probably remember that from the, uh, the, the game you were in where you were playing, oh golly, who was that Wild West, uh, Wild West secret agent guy? Oh man, you made me, you made me forget. Uh, the guy from Wild Wild West, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, Played by Robert Conrad. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or in this case, Saul. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> his name was West, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. and Artemis Gordon was his partner. But he, right, he Artemis Gordon was the scientific yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, James West, there we go. James West. Yeah, you remember that? That that was that's cross gen. I mean, I, yeah. I I I basically pull uh, fictional and real characters out of the past and glom them into a run. Uh, and I may toss in some people that, that don't necessarily fit anything, but are, are, are still iconic in some way. Like I, I often have a random pair of hobbits in a game. <laughs> Just because hobbits are trouble. I mean, yes. y- you know, if you're the bad guys and you see hobbits, you're doomed. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that was a fun game. I, it was a blast. It was just this crazy romp of a game. It was really fun. I did one uh, about uh, three years ago called Slush Pile of the Gods, which was the the three fates uh, since the expiration of the Greek pantheon. They've been operating as a publishing company instead. <laughs> and they drop some manuscripts on the floor and they all get mixed together. Oh, no. And so you end up with five or six characters who, yeah, I think it was six characters who are all out of various genre novels. I think there's a romance, there's a uh, noir detective story, there is a, a vampire story, there's a Cthulhu story, and there's something else. And all of these characters know their characters in the story. They know who their authors are. They hate their authors. And there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall, and there's a lot of other stuff going on. But I took a few of those characters and I'm keeping them and adding a, a different bunch uh, for the run I got planned for uh, this time, which is Murder on the Disoriented Express, which consists yeah, that sounds of, pretty good. Of, of more than one train ending up in Wichita simultaneously from various dimensions. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. And so of that's, course yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah. And, the, and that's using Arduin, right? You're using Arduin. Oh, Arduin yeah. And I'm using Arduin rules because. Uh, there isn't anything about Arduin that says you have to have any magic at all. It's a movement and combat system. It's a conflict resolution system. It's it's all the things you need to do what you want with it. Yeah, you know, it just uh, you know whether there's going to be magic or not. There probably will be magic in this because right. after all, I've got various dimensions coming together. <laughs> so so th- that's funny because like when I was younger, I thought Arduin was like just a fantasy game, uh, just you know like a not a ripoff, but a, a, another version of a, another fantasy game. But there's like ray guns and you know science fiction type weapons in in Arduin. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it's science fantasy. I think is, is is the best way of describing it. But I, I I think it has probably been played most as a straight fantasy game, and that's fine. It, it, there's no reason it can't be. I I just happen to like uh, technological stuff enough that I want to have it in there. Right. Other people have different feelings about that. You know, one of these things is we got so many game systems. It's so rich out there. You can do anything you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a question whether you have a system you feel comfortable with. Yes. Yes, exactly. So there's only one question that I really want to ask. Somebody talked about what were the Undercities like? Oh, the Undercities. Did you play in that in Dave's game? Did you go uh, into one? Yeah, a little bit. It's pretty awful. I mean, that is to say it's pretty good. I mean... It, <laughs> 
awful for the characters because yeah. it's like everything that I that I've been talking about order of magnitude worse in terms of threat level uh, and typically you don't you can't even stay in one place for very long because i mean it's just really troublesome so, uh, yeah i mean the the one the one thing i remember is uh having to transit a very short stretch of the underground during uh tai Taoin, which is the end year celebration and because of the cosmology of of that stuff happens sometimes you ever heard of the wild hunt yes, yes. yeah well there's something like that underground ah and uh we we didn't r- actually run into it or that or there wouldn't have been anything to tell you know? <laughs> right right but but you you have your concerns about that, and so you're trying to figure out how do we get out of here now. Th- that that is really if if you're really uh, looking for a challenge for the hardcore fifteenth level Arduinian characters, something to keep them busy. <laughs> Sounds right. Yeah, and one of the things about this is is that I mean he's he's got pantheons and pantheons and some more pantheons it, it, stuff that. I don't think ever got published. I, I I had material on it, but there was no room for that book. Right. It was like the elder gods were were, were there, and they were like no more significant than some of the other stuff. Right. I, I don't think you could take an Arduinian character and put him in a Cthulhu uh, setting and have the same reaction from him that you'd get from everybody else. Right. You could argue, first of all, that Arduinian characters are already insane. and. <laughs> And they also don't care what you think you are, <laughs> right? Because they know everything is dangerous, including themselves. So they're not going to approach the problems the same way as everybody else. Oh yeah, I, I see what you're talking about. You just don't mix them. I, 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 I don't think it's, it's, it's a good story element combo. The one you edited called the Complete Arduin, that's in two volumes. That's right. Yeah. Now I. Don't know what the publication status of that is at this point. Uh, Emperor's Choice was the company that took over Dave's stuff after he died. Right. And I know they did a reprint uh, of it in two volumes. And okay. I and I think uh, it, it was pretty faithful to the original script. But I have having trouble figuring out if they're even in business anymore. I looked on the net, and I, I can't figure out if they're still in business. I, I worked with them a little bit afterwards. Uh, we really didn't have any meeting of the minds and uh, that didn't go anywhere for me or them as it went with me. So I'm not really sure whether it's available as continuing merchandise. I know you you can go on eBay and you can find it. Right. Yeah. It's copyrighted for the rest of our lives, certainly because because at a minimum it's 75 years (laughs) from the date of Dave's death, which was 80, 88. Yeah, so I mean that that that's into the twenty uh, forties sometime. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, it, it's all uh, copyrighted. I don't I don't know who would enforce the copyright right now because I don't know who has the rights. But that's right. the problem. Well, somebody owns the rights, right? To, to well, some somebody order. inevitably owns the rights. I just don't know who it is, right. I, and I don't know if if it's someone who's active in publishing or whether it's just like, well, you know, th- this is the asset of a defunct corporation and nobody's picked it up. I have no idea. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, maybe some of our listeners might find out. They're pretty savvy and yeah. and pretty uh, pretty smart people out there. Well, yeah. It, it t- to me, there's a lot of would have done this, could have done this, should should right. should we have done this kind of things. But yeah. as I, as I think on it, you know, this this game has served exactly the purpose it's supposed to. It's it's given people who've who've chosen to play it a lot of uh, fun times. It's a game, you know, and in the larger uh, scope of things, it's a very distinct form of art, and it's especially unusual in that I don't think that Dave would have written anything else of this kind of scope. I mean, he he certainly wrote some poetry and some of his... uh, prologues to, to adventures have the roots of short stories in them. But this was really his, his magnum opus. This this was the thing. Right. And I, I've constantly played with the notion that he wouldn't have done it the way I did it. And it would have been better if he'd done it. Right. But on the other hand, he didn't do it. You can only do so much. Yeah. yeah. No, no, definitely. Well, you know, like you said, people are good at certain things and not good at others. And artists, you know, sometimes they're too busy creating art to worry about organization, uh, worry about good business practices. You know, you know, my brother-in-law was a great machinist 
And on the business side of it, eh, he lives my sister deal with all that. But he loved machining, right? He loved the the work that it entailed. And the business side of it is like, eh, it was secondary to to the love of of working with machines. And that's and artists are the same way. Yeah, I I think think. I think you're probably right. I mean, there's probably some savvy artists out there and some who just uh, just don't care about that. That side of it. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I think it's probably true of all of us that, that, you know, there's things we'd rather be doing than things you have to do in connection with the business. And if you can farm that stuff out, it's hard to blame. And it's just, you know, who was going to help him with something like this? It's so marginal uh, financially. And, uh, and, but it was, it was a calling. I mean, this is, this is what he needed to do with his life. And this is exactly what he did with his life. I mean, he, he, he has a rep, he had a reputation for being difficult to work with and maybe not the uh, best person to deal with and, personal matters uh, but i don't know what he had to go through and i also don't know that that really makes any difference because in the end people do remember him fondly and yeah. uh, and they do remember how much fun they had playing in his games he he accomplished what he needed to do with his life even though it was too short yeah and i think really people see the the creative the art that he did and they really they really enjoy it because they still t- talk about it today. People are still talking about Dave. And, and like you say, the, it seems like they remember him fondly. And then if you look into it, his bio, they say, well, he had a reputation of being uh, difficult to work with, like you said. But it seems to me a lot of people have this idea that he was a really good writer and he had a, a great mind. And, and so that's why people still play their game, his games and collect his book. Want people to talk to you to figure out more about this guy, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, he, you can't say anything other than he was brilliant. I, I couldn't come up with a lot of the stuff he came up with, and I've got a pretty high opinion of myself. So, <laughs> you know, when you come right down to it, um, he dropped into a niche that fit him. Right. And it's a niche that had value. Well, Mark, thanks for talking to us. Uh, I'm going to publish this. Also, anybody who, you know, wants to go to Dungeon Con and play in an Ardring game, Mark is running his game uh, probably Friday night, right? Uh, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. The only one that has the ones already written in stone on the schedule, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that, that's the perk of being in charge of yeah, because I'm the scheduler, I, I know where I'm going to be. <laughs> so how many players is your game? Uh, I think it's six. Six. Well, co- six coveted seats, people. So <laughs> if you're in Northern California, you know, go down to Dungeon Con and play in uh, Mark Scheinert's Ardor and Grimoire game. What is it called again? I confused you. I'm losing it here. <laughs> <laughs> He's been reading too Mur- many RPG Murders games. on the Disoriented Express. Plural <laughs> murders, more than one. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh oh. Yeah. Okay. You could go to Dungeon website, dungeoncon.com, and it there's a little blurb written there. Look under role playing games. I believe yours is the first one listed, right? That's right. <laughs> so check it out. Thanks for listening, Mark. I totally appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy trying to get all this work done. And... Yes, thank you so much. It's wonderful listening to you talk about this. Yes. Okay, well, it, it, it's fun. It, it's nice to, 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 to go back in time and remember some of this stuff. Good. Well, thanks a lot. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And you guys have a good night. Thanks, Mark. Okay, thank you.